hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. If we had a theme song for today's episode, and, and quite honestly, royalty rights probably keep us from having one, it would, it would probably be on the road again. Uh, as things have continued to open up across the cotton belt, uh, some little meeting pleasures that we've deeply missed for the past year or so are working their way back onto the schedule. And uh, we had a recent field day stop that was actually pretty timely. Uh, considering the topic of the day was cotton weed control, something that far too many growers are starting to wrestle with right now. Uh, we're going to tell you what we saw and learned from some pretty extensive research plots here in just a few minutes. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Editor Frank Giles. Frank, what's new today? Well, it looks like we've got some uh some rain up up north of Florida and some uh, some areas in Georgia and the Carolinas that was needed. And speaking of weeds, I think that is going to get those weeds growing and uh, in the other parts of the belt too, where the flooding certainly probably spread some weed seeds around. So once that gr ground gets aired out and dried out a little bit, the weeds are probably be coming coming up pretty fast. It's it's going to be a sure you know surely a topic of emphasis here in uh, over the next next couple of weeks for sure. But as you mentioned, you know, mentioned the weather and we talked about weather in the last episode and it, it proved to be timely, but is, is really not in a positive way for a lot of folks. No sooner did that episode post than a big part of the Mid-South picked up 20 to 25 inches of rain in two days, uh, basically flooding a lot of newly planted fields, cutting off roads, and just adding a load of misery to growers in central Mississippi and southern Arkansas. As one of our crop consultant friends told us, it was the worst flooding he'd ever seen, truly a disaster of epic proportions. So kudos to the state agencies and extension services in both states for stepping up to help with flood relief and a lot of solid sort of where do we go from here advice. Uh, there are some meetings going on, uh, I think this week in both states uh, to kind of help growers get things under underway and, and see where, where they're gonna go next. Uh, of course, Frank, as you mentioned, um, with that, all of that rain got followed up by Tropical Storm Claudette here over the weekend. Uh, that brought some storms and rains through the lower Mid-South and Southeast. There may have been a few areas of overlap, and, and, and if that happened, then I really feel bad for those folks. Uh, it might have been good for parts of the Southeast that, that were still looking a little bit dry, particularly up in the Carolinas, but uh, as always, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But uh, I think one thing we can definitely say is hurricane and storm season is here. Definitely so. And uh, like I say, it, it looked like that Claudette brought some rains up into Georgia and the Carolinas. And by the radar I was looking at, it didn't look like a, a flood out situation. So we're still waiting to hear from our crop consultants up in that part of the world to see uh, how much rain they got and, and how, how beneficial it would be. But let's cross our fingers that it was a beneficial rain. Absolutely. Well, Frank, why don't you, uh, while, while you have the, the floor, give us a look at some good recent news from the Cotton Belt. All right. The USDA crop progress report dated June 13 showed, showed that growers continued to make up for lost planting time in the past week. The report shows that 90% of the U.S. cotton crop is now planted, up 19% from a week ago, and 1% above the five-year average for mid-June. In all, 10 cotton producing states reported planting totals between 90 and 100% complete, all ahead of their respective five-year averages. 
with the biggest percentage increase coming from Kansas, Louisiana, North Carolina, and Virginia. Squaring was reported in 9% of the crop with Arizona, Texas, Tennessee, and Georgia continuing to lead the way. And crop condition numbers were improved this week with 44% of the U.S. crop rated good to excellent, 39% fair, and only 15% rated poor or very poor. Jim, looks like the they're getting it all pretty much in the ground at this point, and the crop's looking pretty decent. I think that's that's one of the things that uh, that I talked to some of the folks at this field day over in Jackson, Tennessee, about is uh, they're 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 running late, and and the crop that's in the ground is is what it's going what it's going to be at this point. Uh, I don't know if if a, if a state gets up to a, it's a hundred percent of its of what its intended acres were, uh, then they're one of the the one of the one of the few. Uh, that will actually make it. I think the cutoff point has definitely, definitely uh, come, and we're going to find out here in another week or so. But I think June 30th is the uh, is the planted acres report uh, from USDA. So we'll see exactly where where our final cotton planted acres for this year end up. Yep, it'll be interesting to see. For those of you in or near the Mid South, the longstanding Judd Hill Foundation Field Day will be held. July 30th with a focus on sustainable cotton production. The Judd Hill Foundation Farm is located on Arkansas Highway 214, five miles south of Truman, Arkansas in Poinsett County. Field tours will focus on soil and water conservation research, soil fertility, and demonstrations of multiple cotton production systems. There also will be presentations on the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol the Soil Health Institute's Healthy Soils for Sustainable Cotton Program, the Better Cotton Initiative, and current marketing sourcing trends for cotton, and on-site training and enrollment sessions for the trust protocol is also planned. On-site registration at the Foundation Farms opens at 8 a.m. Central, with field tours beginning at 9, 9 a.m. And finally, for something a bit out of this world, a new experiment aimed at helping cotton production is now on board and underway on the International Space Station. This study, which is managed by the Department of Botany at the University of Wisconsin and funded by the Target Corporation, will seek to provide information on improving cotton for better water and nutrient use to help reduce cotton's environmental footprint and provide new data for cotton breeding programs. So as cotton is out of this world, I suppose. Yeah, we, 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 we always say that, you know, I, th I think, uh, you know, we always say this business is a little out of it. We're out of the world for from time to time. So anyway, thanks Frank for that. Uh, and now to our topic of the day. Uh, I recently had a chance to get out on the road again to take in the University of Tennessee's annual weed tour over in Jackson, Tennessee. It's a beautiful day tolerable temperatures and a large crowd. Uh, we're all pleased for the opportunity to gather again for an in-person event. Uh, the tour is coordinated by Dr. Larry Steckel, who is Tennessee Extension Weed Specialist and two of his doctoral students. So after two hours of walking plots, I had a chance to sit down with Larry to get his thoughts on the day and perspective on the challenges that cotton growers and researchers are facing right now in their fields. Here's our conversation. Well, this is uh, Cotton Companion Podcast on the road, finally, after uh, about seems like forever. 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 And I'm, I'm sitting here at the West Tennessee uh, Research and Extension Center in Jackson, Tennessee. 
uh, with Dr. Larry Steckel, who is a University of Tennessee Extension Weed Specialist. Uh, we have just finished the uh, his weed tour for the year. Uh, Larry, it's been a beautiful day. It's great to be back in person. Oh, yeah, I'm sure glad to have you come. I'm glad to have a, a crowd come. So what a change. Uh, we really haven't done this in two years, it seems like. Uh, <laughs> and I think folks... I don't know if they cared what I had to say. They just like to get out for it and, and actually <laughs> interact with their fellow uh, uh, weed practitioners. So uh, it's been it's been very positive um, to have have folks back out again on a real field day. Yeah, definitely. I know. I I've I have enjoyed it. It's a good job, good chance to get out, and stretch your legs, see people, and and just kind of catch up and and you know, realize that that the work of agriculture has been going on. Yeah. It has, and weeds don't care about pandemics, nope, and no. they've been just fine. Um, and in fact, they've probably uh, even more than fine because now we've got shortages, of all kinds of herbicides this year, which has been forefront of most of our most of the growers' thoughts here, mm -hmm. especially the retailers' thoughts, because they can't get fundamental herbicides like Roundup. You know, who would have thought that would ever be short? But but because of the pandemic and things being shut down last year, mm -hmm. uh, it's you know, we're having ramifications this year. On yeah. It. Definitely. Well, let's talk a little bit about this year. Uh, we have finally got to the point where I think the crop is mostly planted, what crop we're going to have yes. this year. Yes. Uh, we've had wet weather. We've had cool weather. Uh, it doesn't really matter whether you're in the Mid-South or Southeast or, or parts of Texas. The conditions have all sort of been the same. Uh, and everybody's kind of running behind from one perspective or another. Um, what's the wheat situation looking like right now? Well, uh, right now we're really holding our own, and in part, because uh, even though it's been wet, most of our growers got did a better job of getting pre-emergence herbicides out in cotton and in soybeans uh, than they have the previous several years, and it's and they've worked. Uh, we've had a lot of rain, so not a big rain. So at least we've been we've been blessed here in Tennessee. We haven't near the rains they've had in Mississippi and Arkansas. Yep, those poor folks, uh, but. We've had enough rain that is getting these pre's activated and keeping them going, and uh, they've worked extraordinarily well, the folks that have used pre's. And that's a big plus because, as you saw today at this field day, when we're just trying to control this Palmer amaranth, even spray timely, you know, three, four inches tall with, with a dicamba application right. or a 240D application, we're not getting 50% control. So uh -huh. it really is fundamental that the pre's work and that we can overlay another one um, to have any chance to, to manage pigweed. Right. And one of the advantages, obviously, you have on a research station is you can get those applications out on a timely basis, as opposed to what a lot of growers are having to deal with on their own farms. And that's correct. We don't, we're, we're, we've got just our, you know, 10, 20 acre patches here and there. Those <laughs> farmers got, uh, you know, thousands of acres over counties uh, and just getting around logistically, they just can't. Yeah. So that gets, again, getting back to using pre's and effective pre's because they buy you time uh -huh. to be able to get out there more likely to get out there on a and get a post application on smaller weeds than bigger yeah now, i think one of the key topics today that we kept hearing over and over was metabolic resistance uh can you explain that and why is it important yeah so traditionally what weed scientists have always talked about is target site resistance and that's that's you know you're familiar with roundup it seemed like we just a switch and all of a sudden it didn't work and it didn't no matter what the rate roundup was it didn't work it's right. just like a light switch metabolic resistance is is more incremental so it's it's slower um and it what it is is there's enzymes in the plant kingdom that actually are in people um so you know, I have bad knees and I take Advil for them. So, and it wears off in like four hours. Yeah. And the reason it wears off is I have cytochrome P450, you do too, in your liver that detoxify foreign chemicals. Mm -hmm. Well, plants have the same thing. 
And what we found with Palmer amaranth is these biotypes that are uh, getting through dicamba, getting through 2,4-D are, are, by all indications, at least from the research we have in the field here, are having higher levels of those enzymes. We're, we're selecting for those. Uh, as a result, uh, we're, we're not we're we're seeing where you know the 1x rate doesn't quite work and 2x is kind of iffy, but you get up to 3 and 4x, we're, we're controlling it. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is not on the label. Not on the label. No, no. So, but in follow-up applications, it's just depending on how quick you can get back out there. Uh, you can get out there pretty quick on them. You know, within seven days, you can do fairly well, uh, at least on the biotype we have here on this station. Uh, if you wait 20 days, you, you'll never catch back up. Yeah. And so, and then the level is, it varies across the state. So, uh, you know, here at the station, I, I call this kind of intermental resistance. It's kind of there just above the 2X rate. Uh, but we got sites off station that it's considerably higher, uh, mm-hmm. where we're going much higher rates and still not doing a good job controlling Palmer Amaranth. Yeah. One of the things I found, found interesting in some of the studies were the uh, sequential applications of, of uh, the pre-herbicides. Uh, before you even get into the post applications on it, uh, and we're looking at intervals, I think of what fourteen days and seven days, things like that. How does how did that work out? So those those work really well when we were overlaying another residual, and again we had rains to get them activated, and that's the key. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing that we've kind of taken home here is using higher rates of these pre's to what to what the you know the soil type will right. allow, and you'll see that a lot of the companies are starting to recommend higher rates, and it's not because they make more money; it's because Again, getting back to the metabolic resistance, it's more broad spectrum. It's not just one herbicide, one weed. It is actually, um, it is one weed, but it's multiple herbicides. It's dicamba that's slipping. It's 2,4-D that's slipping. It's actually, we're seeing a little bit of slippage with the group, uh, you know, the herbicides like Dual and Warrant, uh, those type herbicides too. It's not catastrophic. You know, we're losing a day or two on residual, but it's all adding up mm-hmm. to where we're seeing more and more Palmer uh, rear its head now, even though we're basically all extended in this state, have been for a while. Yeah, definitely. Any uh, any older chemistries that some of the companies are pulling back out to take a look at again? We are seeing older chemistries, <laughs> so in higher rates of them. But uh, but you know, we even pulled out old Lorox. I got some old Lorox oh linear on back in the day. So you know, only I I, I asked a lot of the folks here. Was you know, how t- many t- tucked away in a shed? shed in the back it was. 40? It was the back forty. Had to dust it <laughs> off and, and get it out. But yeah, we were looking at some older herbicides, and they can they can be helpful. But you know, metribuzin still is the reason we don't use a lot of linear on is metribuzin in, in soybean, and it's it's gonna be very effective. The problem is nobody uses high enough rates. Yeah. So, you know, even these pre-mixes, most of them at most will have five, five and a half ounces worth of just metribuzin. You really need to be six, seven, eight uh, to get the residual. We really need to help us fight Palmer now that uh, dicamba isn't as consistent on as it was just a few years ago. Uh Well, I think one thing we've noticed, pandemic or no pandemic over the last couple of years, uh, we seem to be sitting in sort of a sweet spot for uh for resistant pigweed and grasses yeah as, yeah. as we started to see yeah. uh you've documented some issues with dicamba with 24d uh with liberty yeah i think to a certain extent yeah. where do we kind of stand with that right now so i don't know what it is it's kind of this mid-south area and i think part of it is we we're just we grow so many soybeans and we grow them on the same field year after year after year and it's not because they want to they'd like to rotate the corn it's just because we flood every year, and yeah. so you can't plant corn in June and get any kind of yield, but you can plant soybeans in June. So invariably, we've got soybeans on the same thing. So then they're spraying the same herbicides, and we're really relying on um, really relying on 
some of the same herbicides over and over again. And as a result, things aren't working. So, you know, the folks across the river in Arkansas, Tom Barber, Jason Norsworthy, uh, Tom Butts over there, they confirmed liberty resistance last year uh-huh. on our side of the river. We've confirmed dicamba resistance and, and now and now 2,4-D. Um, so it's a big concern. Um, right now over here, liberty's still working. And the go-to on an enlist system, if I can mix liberty, which is still working in 2,4-D, uh, enlist one, enlist one and liberty tank mixed, it's killing pigweed that 2,4-D is not doing all that well on. Uh-huh. And that liberty might be a little sketchy on. So the two together are still working. Uh-huh. And it's somewhat comparable with Extend. Now, you can't mix Ingenio or Extendamax with Liberty because of volatility issues, but you could come back fairly shortly with a Liberty application mm-hmm. after one of those, and we're, we're able to clean them up. So that's what we're going to have to do uh, and be timely with those follow-up cleanups. Are we still seeing, still seeing some issues with some of the tank mixes with, uh, with glyphosate? Uh, yes. Yeah, so with uh, from a from an antagonism standpoint on grass, mm-hmm. most certainly we are. So, yeah, I, that's been our, my take-home is, is keep the Roundup out of the tank with dicamba, especially on jungle rice, barnyard grass, goose grass, panicum, because um, we're missing those consistently doing that. But going out with just straight goods roundup, we're doing much better, mm-hmm. uh, or with clethidim and roundup. So those are big key points to, to consistency of control uh, is going out with those roundups and those clethidims together. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Well, we're sitting here in mid-June. Um, any last uh, thoughts or advice to, to offer to folks at this point? Well, uh, just try to be as timely as possible. And it's easy for me to say. It's a lot harder to do, I understand. But mm-hmm. the timeliness is the most important thing we can do in this post-emergence era. And don't don't skip on the pre's on, this, on these double crop soybeans we're fixing to put in. Okay. Sounds good. Larry, I appreciate you taking time. It's been a great day. Uh, we'll uh, we'll get together soon thank for, you. for another, another interview somewhere down the road here on the Cotton Companion. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you. And once again, that's it. For this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. As always, thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about this podcast. And here's how you can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, Subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Our combined June-July issue of Cotton Grower is on the press, so please be sure to watch for it in your mailboxes here within the next couple of weeks. And as I mentioned earlier, our schedules are starting to fill up with more and more farm and event visits. We're looking forward to the opportunity to visit with more of you in person this summer and fall. Cotton Companion Podcast comes to you twice monthly. It's produced by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman, his name's Frank Giles, and we'll be back with you in two weeks with the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farm.